This is the Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 folks. It's Rhea here. As we plan, prepare, produce, and record the next season of the Intelligent Rebellion podcast, I wanted to drop a few short stuff, tidbits from past episodes. If you've been with us from the very beginning, I want to say thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you. Thank you for the messages, the emails, the random text messages that you send to us really fuels our fire. If you've just found us, welcome. We do hope that you stay and linger for a little while. In this session of Short Stuff, we have John Mellors from Season 1, Episode 2. We've got Nikki and Matt from Episode 7 and Samantha Flynn from Episode 10. We're very excited to be bringing you this next evolution of the podcast For now, sit back, relax, grab your favourite teddy bear. This is the Short Stuff Sessions. I had to do all my finances, all my marketing, all my business development. I was at one-man band and I just got to that point where I was like, I'm not going to change anything. I'm exhausted. I'm looking after kids as well. I don't want to do this. That's probably why I didn't change. Mm. Oh, interesting. And so there came a point where you decided that it was enough was enough. Yeah. Talk me through that. How do yeah. you come to that decision knowing that you've built this thing like from the ground up? Yeah, yeah. So um, after my first daughter, it, it was fine. I think I was like back on the accounts. I still remember sitting in hospital. I was listening to your, um, one of the episodes, how you said that you were like in the hospital room at a case conference. Same thing. I was in my hospital room sending accounts, like paying people because I knew that if I didn't pay them, they weren't going to do their work. So after my first daughter, um, that was fine. I was able to manage that because she was the dream baby. She was like so chilled. She'll just sit there, do whatever. And also I also had amazing support from my parents. My parents would help me out. If I had to go to a meeting, I'll just leave her with them and, <laughs> and, and do my meeting and come back. And yeah, they were awesome. So it was only after my twins that's probably when I needed to reevaluate because I thought, oh, babies are as easy as my first girl. I'll be fine. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so wrong. <laughs> Twins <laughs> is a different, it's a different ball game. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought I could just continue doing whatever I was doing. And you know what? I, I, I knew how to be a mum. Um, but, but. Twins rocked my world. Like they were still, they are still, and they were amazing babies. But trying to manage, like I remember, I had a contractor in Queensland. He said, "Oh, I'm going to finish up. I've got another opportunity elsewhere." Probably five weeks after I gave birth to the girls, and um, I was like, "Crap! If I don't keep my practice, my medical practice up there happy, I'm going to lose that contract." So I need to fly up there six weeks post birth do interviews, train another EP up. And then three weeks later, a similar situation happened in um, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I was like, far out. I've got to fly now to, to, to Melbourne and sort this. And it got to the point where I was like, I think it was maybe about girls were three, or three, three to four months old. And I was like, what am I doing? I work myself literally most nights. I'm doing accounts. I'm doing whatever, whatever, whatever. I might see one client or two mm-hmm. clients, not a lot, but just enough to like help out. I'm not even spending quality time with my kids. Yeah. Or if I am, I'm on the phone, like breastfeeding or, you know, I'm, I'm not there for them. And 
my daughter at that time, she was just two maybe. So I had three under two. I was like, she's got two and a half, maybe three years before she goes to school. If I'm not present for those early years, I'll never get those years back. And that was kind of that point where I was like, what do I do here? And at that point, it was profitable. It was great. But it was me. I probably didn't manage my team very well because I was trying to do 50 things at once. I mean, you had this giant business across maybe, what, 100 clinics nationally. Mm. I want to press you here. You went, I can do all this shit by myself. Oh, I think it's also my attitude. <laughs> maybe it's Talk like... me through that. And I... you've, got, you've got to criticise and question that as well. Like, yeah. well, why would... You know it's hard. You know you're getting crazy. You yeah. know you've got so many subcontractors. Yeah. Why the fuck didn't you bring somebody on board then? Um, probably because I didn't know who to bring on board. I didn't know how to bring on board. Like, I remember reaching out and be like, guys, I need a bookkeeper. And the bookkeeper I got, she didn't even help me. <laughs> spent no joke. I spent like three to four months trying to train her and she still didn't get it. I'm like, you know what? I can freaking do it myself. And it's faster as well. So I'm just going to do it. I think being burnt on trying to get a bookkeeper on. And it's also because I'm quite driven. I'm like, I can do it. I'm not, I don't need the help of other people. That's just my mentality. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. So I think it was probably half and half. I, I know I can do it. If I push myself, absolutely, I'll be able to do it hard. Where does that stem from though? I think most- It's my Asian-ness. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Because I think most people that I speak with, they're very much like, I'm gonna prove to the world that I can do it all by myself. When in reality, and you've already pointed to this very early on in the discussion that you can't do what you do without Brad, without a team around you. So I find that really fascinating that you say, I want to do it all by myself, but I employ the help of my husband and my parents. I think with a business, I can afford it to fail. But with my family, I can't afford it to fail. I will not. I will not risk it failing, you know what I mean? So I will employ what I need to for something that's really dear to my heart. But work, I've learnt now, work is work. I love what I do, but work is work. And first and foremost, my family come first. I don't really care. Like that, I can't afford that Mm -hmm. to fail. I can't afford there to miss my my kids and, you know, miss my kids' first day and miss them growing up. Do you remember that moment where you said, yeah, I'm selling this business and I'm going to move on? Yes, I do. (laughs) Tell me about it. I remember exactly where I was. I was at a gym in Carlingford. I was sitting in the car park and I called you. Me? (laughs) Yes. I still remember. Yeah. So I was speaking to our friend, Christy. Hey, Christy. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of floating the idea with her and she actually said, you need to speak to this girl, Rhea. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard of the name Rhea. I've heard like, obviously in the ESSA space, I've kind of heard her. I was like, are you sure she's going to be able to pick up the phone and talk to me? That (laughs) troublemaker. And she was like, yeah, she's super friendly. You'll be fine. You just call her and ask her questions because... I already had workers' comp clients, so I kind of knew the workers' comp space. And coming back to that point where I knew that I was going to sell a business, Mm -hmm. I got to a point in my mind where I was like, I do not want to be giving exercises to people when I'm 50 years old. (laughs) I don't see myself doing that. Like, I eat way too many cupcakes (laughs) in order to be that person. (laughs) And as well, like, a lot of my clients, oh, Sam, can you see me, like, at 7 in the morning or 6 o'clock in the afternoon? And that was not working for my family. Yeah, that's right. Family came first. I love my job. I want to help people. How else can I do it? And I loved workers' comp. Yeah. I I loved it. And so... 
Christy, <laughs> who was already working in the Oc Rehab space, she, she'd been telling me, Sam, you've got to think about it. And I'm like, Oc Rehab, what's Oc Rehab? And then that's when she, she, she said to me, you need to speak to this lady named Ria. <laughs> I, I worked with her previously and she's like the bee's knees in Oc Rehab. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I called you. I think we spent about an hour on the phone. <laughs> I was already getting my business ready to sell. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to you, oh, you know, would it be easy? I've already run a business. You know, I know how it all works. Would it be easy to do contracting in, in Oc Rehab? And I remember you saying to me, Sam, they're two totally different things. You would get absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> One, because you don't know the legislation. Yeah, you know a bit about Oc, you know a bit about Oc Rehab being the treater, but it's totally different. <laughs> and I remember you saying, if you do anything, what you need to do is you need to do like one to two years of, of Oc Rehab working for a company, mm -hmm. learn the ropes, learn what Oc Rehab is really, the essence of Oc Rehab, what it's about. And then if you want to go down that subcontracting side, you can. Yeah, it was that conversation with you. It was like an hour in the car. Oh, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> that makes my heart smile. It was our first conversation. I remember you saying to me in the end, you were like, if you need anything from me, please, just give me a just call. Just give me a call. <laughs> I had some great mentors growing up. I've mm. got people that I can just call on tap at any moment, at any time in industry and ask them a question. Mm. There are a lot of people that say to me, oh, I've been in workers' comp exactly like you for, for 10 years doing clinical. I'm just going to suddenly go and be a rehab consultant. And I was like, no, nah, you're starting from scratch, mate. And, and I love that you kind of just took that on board and went, yeah, I'm going to take a huge pay cut. I've gone mm -hmm. from being the director of this giant business mm. to then having to literally come in basically a new grad mm -hmm. level. The one thing that you have going for you, which a lot of people don't have going into any rehab, doesn't matter how old you are, is your personal attributes. Mm. You're driven, you're willing to learn, you like people. Mm. Those skills are going to, and attributes are going to cross from being clinical to an occupational rehab space. I had a follow-up conversation with you probably about a year after you started and I was sitting in the car park <laughs> down at Macquarie Field in the car park of the Woolly Shopping Centre there <laughs> and I rang you and I, I said, how's, it, how's everything going? And you said to me, I fucking love rehab. <laughs> I love occupational rehab. Yes. I think it's awesome. And I was like, yes. what do you think about the billable hours and that? And you're like, I fucking love the billable <laughs> hours. I love the KPIs. Yes, yes. And, and I was just like, have we created a monster? <laughs>The Intelligent Rebellion podcast is a three-stick production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is the talent behind all our original music.